Good morning. How's everyone? Great. Love to hear that. Great. Well, it's good to be with you here this morning and to have the opportunity to share from God's Word. Um, you know, fall is upon us, right? Yeah, we had the autumnal equinox for all you meteorologic nuts out there, which there are probably none, but it's officially fall, and the weather really kind of tells us that it's fall, right? Although we do have cause to celebrate, I apologize that I didn't share with you guys last week that it was National Cheeseburger Day, but it was. Yeah. Anybody have a cheeseburger? I had a cheeseburger for lunch on Sunday. Anybody else? Nobody celebrated National Cheeseburger Day? Okay. I'm the only one. Well, you have the opportunity to celebrate today because today is a National Quesadilla Day. So fold a tortilla, melt some cheese, and have a ball. You ever notice that all of my national days seem to revolve around food? I wonder why that is. And now I have a friend here, a fly. Anyway. So I'm going to ask you a question. I want to know how many of you here today are familiar with a foropter, a foropter. If you know what it is, don't say anything, just raise your hand, a foropter. Not a single hand. I guess, well, but do you really know what it is? Do you? Okay. So we have one person, two people, three people that know what it is. But here's the truth. Many, if not all of you, have actually looked through one at one time or another. Anybody ever had an eye exam? Still very few people. Seriously? <laughs> Never had an eye exam? Can you see me? Well, this, if you would put that image up, is a foropter. Yeah, now you're going, oh, now I know what a foropter is. It's that crazy machine that you look through when the eye doctor, you know, he keeps changing the lenses and keeps asking, you know, is, is lens one better or lens two? Click, lens one or lens two? Click, one or two, right? Kind of seems like it goes on forever. But what he's doing is he's testing the refraction of your eyes to see if there is a refraction error. And if there is, to determine the appropriate lenses to correct your vision. Oh, the things we learn when we come to church on Sunday, right? It's amazing. Have you ever felt that you were looking through your life through the wrong lens? Could it be that you're looking at your story and your circumstances through the wrong lens? And if you just, if you just would flip down another one, click, you know, things would look different, better, clearer. Now, I'm not talking about glasses. I'm not talking about physical lenses. What I'm talking about is a spiritual lens. See, friends, we all view ourselves and the world through some type of spiritual lens. In order to see clearly, to see correctly, we must look through the proper spiritual lens. And friends, that lens is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the lens of Scripture. As we journey through this life, our goal as Christians is to develop a biblical worldview. 
We've talked about this before, and that is what we're trying to do here is develop a biblical worldview. We need to view the circumstances of the world and ourselves through the lens of Scripture, through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, today, as we continue in our study of the book of Philippians, we're going to see that using the lens of the gospel will change how we view the world and what is happening to us in it. The Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter to the church at Philippi, he's going to show us how the gospel can change our perspective and help us to live a joy-filled life. By the way, it's, if you, may not, you may know this, you may not know this, it's pretty well accepted that Paul had some kind of a vision problem. He did. It was maybe coming on later in life, which vision problems often do. Might have been cataracts. We know this because when Paul is writing to the Galatians in chapter 4 and remembering their love for him, Paul writes this. If you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Leads us to believe that Paul could have benefited from better vision. We also know that Paul dictated the vast majority of his letters. He had a scribe and he would dictate to the scribe. Sometimes he would pick up the pen and write with his own hands. And when he did, when he did, he wrote in very large letters. Later in Galatians chapter 6, at the closing verses of that letter, Paul writes this. He says, see what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. So Paul more than likely had some sort of a vision issue. And some commentators believe that that may have been the physical malady, that thorn in the flesh that Paul refers to in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, Paul may have had difficulties with his physical sight, but what we're going to learn today is that Paul viewed his circumstances through the spiritual lens of the gospel. And through that lens, Paul saw joy in living for Christ. Joy in living for Christ. That's the title of our sermon today. And our scripture is found in Philippians chapter 1. We're going to begin at verse 12. We're going to work our way through to the end of the chapter, verse 30. And as we did last week, we're going to look at some background information in Acts because Acts not only tells us a lot about what happened to Paul while he was in Philippi, but it tells us a lot about his journey back to Jerusalem and what happened to him in Jerusalem. And that gives us a lot of context for what it is we read here in this letter. Now, as we said last week, at the writing of this letter, it's been 10 years since Paul established that church at Philippi. And as we work through these verses... We're going to see four things, four things that looking through the lens of the gospel does for us. The first is this. It changes our perspective. The gospel lens changes our perspective. Listen to what Paul says in verse 12. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. 
So to really understand what Paul's talking about here, we have to understand what it is that happened to him since he last left the Philippians some 10 years earlier. Well, that story begins in Acts chapter 21. And in Acts chapter 21, Paul is traveling back to Jerusalem after completing his third missionary journey. We know that he established the church in Philippi on his second missionary journey. Paul is now returning to Jerusalem following his third missionary journey. And he's coming back with an offering. He's coming with an offering for the church at Jerusalem, something that he's collected along the way from the churches that he's visited. But there were some negative reports about Paul that actually made it to Jerusalem before Paul got there. Some negative reports about him teaching things that were contrary to the Mosaic law. Things like the circumcision of children. And then after Paul gets to Jerusalem, there's this false rumor that starts circulating about Paul taking Gentiles into the temple. And that, according to Jewish custom, is a capital offense. So you combine these things, and it wasn't long before the whole city was in an uproar and a mob formed, and they grabbed Paul, and they were, they were beating him. And the only reason that he wasn't killed was because a Roman commander heard about the commotion and sent soldiers to quell the riot and to arrest Paul. They actually saved his life. So Paul's under arrest, and under heavy guard, he's taken to Caesarea where he's confined to Herod's palace. And over the next two years, Paul was subject to a series of interrogations by Roman officials. We read about those trials. They were really trials before Felix and Festus and eventually King Agrippa. We read about those in Acts chapter 24 and 25. Finally, in Acts chapter 26, convinced that he would never get a fair trial... Paul exercises his right as a Roman citizen and appeals his case to Caesar. So in about 59 AD, Paul begins his journey to Rome, which turns out to be a, a, a terrifying journey with shipwrecks and all kinds of crazy things that happen to him. We read about that in Acts chapter 27. And finally, a year later, Paul arrives in Rome. And it's interesting that when Paul arrives there, he's actually treated fairly well. And the reason for that is Paul has treated Roman officials along the way with a lot of respect. And the Roman officials, in turn, began to respect Paul as God's ambassador to the Gentiles. And, and Paul's constantly proclaiming his innocence, which, by the way, King Agrippa did finally acknowledge and probably would have set Paul free had he not appealed to Caesar. But because of the way Paul treated the officials, he was actually treated kindly. He was not treated like a common criminal. So he was allowed to live in a rented house in Rome. And he was allowed to have visitors coming and going. But Paul was still a prisoner. He was still chained to a Roman guard 24-7. And he waited two years, two years before his trial before Caesar. So all of that, Paul says, I want you to know 
that you should look at my circumstances through the lens of Scripture, through the lens of the gospel, because all that had happened to Paul had served to advance the gospel. It really did. See, not only did Paul have the opportunity to preach and share the gospel in Rome, but while he's in prison there for two years, he writes a letter to the church at Ephesus, the book of Ephesians as we know it. He wrote this letter, Philippians. He also wrote a letter to the church at Colossae, which is the book of Colossians. And he probably wrote Philemon while he was there as well. Paul goes on to say in verse 13, as a result, because of all this stuff that's happened to me, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. So Paul looks through the lens of Scripture and his perspective is changed. And he sees really two things that would have happened, that would have never happened had he not gone through all that he had gone through. First, he's in chains. The whole palace guard has been exposed to the truth about Christ. See, Paul sees his chains not as something to be lamented. He sees them as an opportunity. See, Paul is, is a prisoner of Caesar, which means he is being guarded by the praetorian. The praetorian is the elite guard within the Roman army. And he's chained by a four-foot chain 24 hours a day. And the guard is changed every four hours. Which means that Paul has six different guards every single day that he can share the gospel with. See, Paul doesn't see himself as a captive. He sees the soldiers as his captive audience. And these, these members of the elite military, they're being exposed to the gospel. They're being converted to being followers of Christ. And then they're going back to their barracks. And they're going out into the city of Rome and they're telling others about the great gospel of Jesus Christ. But it never happened if Paul wasn't in chains. Second thing he sees is that when the Christians in Rome, when they see Paul's boldness, even as he faced danger, right? He faced the potential for execution. They were inspired by his example. And they became courageous in their testimony. They became confident in the Lord, as he says, and dared all the more to proclaim Christ. Friends, neither of those things would have happened unless Paul had gone through all he had gone through and was in chains. See, Paul had great joy because the gospel changed his perspective. He looked at things differently. So here's my question. What are you chained to? What are you chained to? Maybe, maybe it's a dead-end job that you just absolutely hate. What would happen if you looked at it through the lens of the gospel? Friends, whatever your chains, it doesn't matter what they are. God has you there for a reason. The same way that Paul was in prison. We need to click, change that lens, and look at it through the lens of the gospel. 
and see it from God's perspective. We need to see it as an opportunity. An opportunity to share the gospel and to do it with boldness. Is that going to be easy? No? But maybe this would be a good time to remember Nehemiah 8.10. Anybody? The joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. We need to change our perspective, and the gospel lens will do that. Second thing we see, we see it in verses 15 and following. The gospel lens changes our priorities. Changes our priorities. Paul writes, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. See, back in Paul's day, there were others that were preaching the gospel and they, they, they saw this as a contest. They were in competition with Paul. They were motivated by a competitive spirit. They had great ambition. Now, ambition isn't necessarily a bad thing, right? Ambition for God. But when it becomes selfish ambition, that's a problem. Being more concerned about gaining followers and being more concerned about image than true success before God. Now, Paul knew that not all those preaching the gospel had bad motives. Some preached out of love, as he says. Some preached out of goodwill. Not everyone was trying to stir up trouble for Paul while he was in prison. But here's the thing that we want to notice. Paul doesn't have a problem with the content of the gospel that's being preached. He doesn't have a problem with the gospel that's being preached. His issue is with the motivation. Look, if Paul honestly thought that they were preaching a false gospel, he'd call them out on it. Regardless of motives. We see this in Paul's warning to the Galatians. In chapter 1 of that letter, in verse 9, he says, If anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. So here, it's clear that it was the true gospel that was being preached. So Paul says, what does it matter? Motivation is an issue that God will deal with. At least the gospel's being preached. Chains could not hinder the gospel. Bad motives could not hinder the gospel. Paul looked at the situation through the lens of the gospel and his priority changed. His priority became God's work. God's work. And God's work was still being done and for that, Paul rejoiced. It brought him great joy. So 
So let me ask you this. Is there competition between churches still today? You know, to have the, the, the most members and, 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 and the biggest and newest building and all the latest equipment and lights and everything and, 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 and professional musicians and the most articulate preachers. Is that happening? You know, unfortunately, it's a little more common than we care to actually admit. But here's the deal, friends. If there are ministries out there that are more effective, what does it matter? The, the gospel is being preached. The gospel is going forward. And if we see it through the lens of the gospel, we can rejoice. That should bring us joy. So it's going to change our perspective. It's going to change our priorities. The third thing is, we, is what we see is the gospel lens gives us strength. It gives us strength. Paul goes on to say, the end of verse 18 and following, Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. So Paul's, Paul's rejoicing in the advancement of the gospel and he continues to rejoice because he knows, he knows that God is in control of the situation. Even though it looks pretty bleak right now, right? He's in prison. He's facing the potential for execution. He looks through the lens of the gospel and he sees God's deliverance. His deliverance. And that gives him strength. See, Paul knows, Paul knows that God is in control of this situation. Elsewhere in Romans chapter 8, he says this. He says, he knows that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Great time to sprinkle in Nehemiah 8.10 again, right? No slide. We don't need a slide because that says what? The joy of the Lord is my strength. Regardless of, of all that's happened to Paul at this, to this point and all that is happening to him at that particular time, he trusts God for deliverance. And he trusts that Christ would be exalted no matter what happens, whether he lives or he dies. See, Paul did not live to promote or preserve his own life. He was living for Christ, and he found great joy in that. Great joy in that. His goal, his goal, as should be our goal, was to glorify Christ, right? That's that change of priorities, that change of perspective that we've been talking about. Glorify Christ. And if God decided that Paul could best glorify him in death, well, guess what? Paul was fine with that. Because he goes on in verse 21 to say, For to, to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. 
Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. And I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Jesus Christ will abound on account of me. So Paul looks through the lens of the gospel and he sees that God has a purpose for his life. And that's the fourth thing that we see when we look through the lens of the gospel. We see purpose. We see purpose. He's filled with joy. He's filled with joy because he knows that he cannot lose. Either way, live, die. His purpose is to glorify God, and Paul can do that in life, and he can do that in death. To live, to live means his purpose is fruitful labor, fruitful labor for Christ. And Paul says here that he is convinced that God's plan is for him to remain and continue to advance the gospel with the Philippians. He knew that his work wasn't finished. And for anyone who is here today, is anyone here today? Is anyone not here today? Boy, don't raise your hand. If you're here today, God ain't done with you yet. And he has a purpose for your life. And that purpose is to glorify him. But Paul also knew that to die was gain. To die is gain. Because he could say goodbye to all the troubles and the strife of this life. And, most importantly, he would be in the presence of Christ. The greatest joy possible. And then starting at verse 27, we see a little bit of a shift. We see a shift because Paul begins verse 27 in the NIV with, Whatever happens... Other translations use the word only. But it's the same as when we see therefore. Therefore, in other words, because you are looking through the lens of the gospel and because your perspective and your priorities have changed, because you have the strength of God and you have purpose, here's how you should live. And Paul goes on to give us Three things that we want to latch on to. Three things about how we should live. First one is in verse 27. He says, whatever happens, therefore, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come to see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one, for the faith of the gospel. So the first thing that Paul is calling us to here is unity. Unity. We should be united. We are to work together for the cause of the gospel. And this Greek word that's translated conduct yourselves, 
It means literally to live as a citizen of. So really what Paul is saying is, therefore, be good citizens of the kingdom of God. Be united in the Spirit. Be united in Christ. Does that describe us here at Hope Church? Are we striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, friends? I pray, I pray that it does. But let's take that a step further. Are we united with all of our brothers and sisters in Christ? Are we intentional about working with other churches, other churches that proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Remember, they're not our competition. We are not theirs. We're all on the same team, and we should all be unified in seeing the gospel advance, right? No matter, no matter, as long as the gospel goes forward. Be united. Verse 28, he says, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. And really what Paul wants us to know here is that trouble is coming. Trouble is coming. And he wants us to have the same kind of boldness that he had. Boldness in the face of opposition. Remember, friends, we have nothing to be afraid of when Jesus is on our side. What can man do to me? Kill me? To die is gain. And those, friends, who oppose the people of God, those who oppose the gospel, they're marked. They're marked for eternal damnation. But to those who believe on the name of Jesus Christ, as their Lord and Savior, they will be saved and they will have life and have life eternal. And then Paul ends with this. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in Him but also to suffer for Him since you are going through the same struggles you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Again, are we going to face challenges in life? Are we going to face opposition to the gospel? We are. And Paul says, don't worry. Don't be afraid because God has got this. No matter how bleak it looks, God still sits on the throne. No matter what you're going through, He is still in control. And when we do suffer... How do we react to that suffering? How do we view that suffering? What does James say in James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3? It says, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. When we face struggles like Paul did, we can have the same kind of fruit and joy in the midst of those struggles because we're no longer living for ourselves, but living for Christ. 
Life can be challenging. And I know that, that many of us face struggles every single day. Here's my question. Are you looking at the world and your circumstances through the lens of the gospel? Because that gospel will change your perspective. It will change your priorities. It will give you strength. And it will give you a purpose. Then we can live as citizens of the kingdom of God, united as one, proclaiming the gospel boldly, knowing that God is in control, and seeing clearly that there's joy in living for Christ. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and praise you. You are an amazing God. And Lord, we thank you for Christ. And we thank you, Lord, that when we look through the lens of the gospel of your son, that it will change our perspective, that things will look differently, we'll have different priorities. It will change us. It has to. And Father, we just pray that you would pour out your spirit, pour out your spirit on each and every one of us and help us, Lord, help us to see our circumstances, and see the world through the lens of the gospel. We can only do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we pray, Lord, that you would pour your spirit out and bless us, guide us, lead us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.